0: Good morning. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2. The psalmist writes these words. Why do the nations conspire and the apostles plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed Saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. The psalmist makes a, a proclamation. He proclaims here that the world is in control by God. That God's will through all things good and bad will come to pass. And that as we said in the song that we sang, it's alright. We have nothing to worry about. And so this becomes our mission to the world to proclaim God's power, His glory. And for us, it's a message, it's a mission that is done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But it goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes all the way back to God Himself. And through the psalmist, we're taught of God's power on this earth. I want to ask you a question today that was proposed to me as I was preparing for this lesson. And then I kind of sat back and thought about it for a moment. And that's this. If someone were waiting for you as you exited the door to the church today, and they instantly arrested you, and they, and you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence beyond just you being in this place to convict you? If they looked into your life during the course of the week, would they find a way to convict you by your actions, your deeds, your love? You know, many, many times the only convicting element to a person's Christianity is the hour and a half they spend at church on Sunday morning. But I want to ask you this morning to piggyback on that question is how real is your Christianity? Both of these questions I I posed to myself and I said to myself and I thought about them in, in regard to myself. You know that's kind of a that's kind of an angering question at times. If someone who didn't know me came up and asked me, you know, how, how real is your Christianity? Well, that's frustrating. That could be that could be kind of personal, couldn't it? You know, how many of you would jump on? Well, who are you to judge? Right? That would be one we hear often. I don't know how real my Christianity is, but who are you to judge? But God wants us really to answer that question each and every day. How real is your Christianity? And when we begin to think about that, I think we find that, that you know, it's tough. It's tough to represent every day what we come in here for an hour and a half and profess to believe. You know, uh, an illustration I, I heard of this I thought was really cool was, you know, you go to the hospital, right? And who are the guys in the white coats? Or the gals in the white coats. Those are the doctors, right? You know, if I'm getting ready to have a surgery or someone's getting ready to to work on me, I do not want the guy in the janitor's shirt coming in and and getting ready to put me under. That's not the last guy I want to see in the surgery room. Right? Nothing against. I'm glad he cleaned the place. I hope he has it sterile. But I want the guy in the white coat standing with me. I want the, the lady that says R.N., next to the badge with me. Could you imagine a world where you would go to the hospital and everybody just be wearing the same thing? And you wouldn't know who the doctor is. Well, how does the world know who Christians are? Jeanette and I, when when Dalton was born and she went into delivery, I remember the guy that walked in, our doctor was out of town and he was a little Filipino man, not very tall, probably about five foot tall. And the guy that walked in to deliver the baby, he comes walking in in cowboy boots with an earring in his ear. And I thought, there is no way you are delivering my child. He was the best doctor in the world. He was awesome. But he sure didn't look the part. This morning I want to know, would you be charged of looking the part? You know, James warns us in James 2 or talks to us, And starting in verse 18, he says, someone will say you have faith and I have deeds. Will you show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith with deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. We have to understand that we live on an earth that needs more than just your profession of belief. They need more than just our profession of belief. They need more than just our hour and a half of worship. They need our lives lived out in the faith that we profess. It's our mission to go out and spread the gospel to this world. And Jesus impacted His disciples with His mission. And then they impacted the world by taking that mission into all of it. You know, we're on on week four now of five of of this series, Impact, and how Jesus impacted the world. His mission impacts real Christians. What does it mean to be real? Well, listen to what a great theologian Johnny Cash said: "Being a Christian, being a Christian, isn't for sissies. It takes a real man to live for God. A lot more man than to live for the devil. And isn't that so true?" You remember the lesson when you were growing up that maybe by a parent, if a parent said, you know, the easiest thing for me to do for you as a child is to say yes. And isn't that true? If you're a parent, the easiest thing in the world is to look at your child and give them the yes answer. Goodness gracious, they won't argue with you. They won't fight you. Yes means yes, and that's awesome. Try saying no and see how difficult life becomes all of a sudden. And you know, sometimes the difference between good and evil is as simple as the words yes or no. You know, David here gives us a mission in the psalm that we have a message to take out. And when that mission, when that mission impacts with our mission in the New Testament of taking the gospel of Jesus out, the whole story comes together. When you take a stand Spiritually, what you want to look out for though and these men and women all found out you open the door to persecution. And this is when Christianity is no longer persisting. See, when you profess Christianity it becomes difficult. O.S. Hawkins says this, Real Christianity is lovely. There's a quality about a spirit-filled, radiant Christian that draws and attracts others, and causes them to enjoy favor with all the people. Real Christianity. The truth is that the gospel is not nearly as offensive as some of its proponents. The point I want to make in, in saying this is it's it's not the gospel; it's not our message that's often broken or rejected. Often what is rejected is our authenticity to the gospel. The church's authenticity to the gospel, how it represents the gospel in the world is what is often rejected. The truth is, if we're not true to our mission, the world will see us as spiritual tyrants. Here's here's an illustration of what I mean and how this can happen. Joseph Stalin, we know that name. Listen to this story. Despite the mind-numbing brutality of the Joseph Stalin regime in the Soviet Union, his propaganda machine did its job well. Many Russians hailed him as a hero and savior, including a young schoolgirl who was chosen to to greet Stalin on one occasion Years later, the woman recalled Stalin taking her into his lap, smiling like a loving father. She was starry-eyed, and she cherished the moment for many years. Only later did she learn that during that same period, Stalin had her parents arrested and sent to the labor camps, never to be seen again. Have you had that moment when someone is is standing in your face, they're telling you how much they love you, they're telling you how much they care about you, but then later you find out their actions meant nothing to the words that they said and how hurtful that is. And as a church, our mission, we we tell the world our mission is to make a difference in the world, to, to help the poor, to help the needy. Is that what our actions do? Well, you know, here at Heartland, here at Heartland, that's true. We work hard to dig into the community, to do what we can to meet the community where it's at. And we have to continue to do this. We have to continue to be true to the mission, to be true to our word. There are so many good things being done by the congregation here. But it's hard to do. It's hard to continue doing it day after day. That rigorous grind is difficult. And what happens is the things in this world, when we get away from our mission, when we get away from the things that make us strong in our mission, Satan picks those things up and he uses it to break us down. When we forget to bathe our actions in prayer, our desires in prayer, Satan grabs it and breaks it down. When we forget to... Pray over those who are involved in these works and these deeds. Satan grabs those people and breaks them down. When we forget to really have on our mind what's best for Christ and what's best for His church, and we begin to push our own agendas, Satan grabs those things and he causes division and he breaks us down. And these are the things, church, that we have to be careful of. That we have to guard against. We have to flee from because that's the stronghold that Satan will grab and not let go. And he's caused so much destruction and so much pain. And when the church begins to encounter persecution, Satan will pour it on even harder through those things. And before you know it, our true enemy isn't who's persecuting us. Our true enemy becomes ourselves. You know, in Acts 2 and 3, even in Acts 1, being a Christian is fairly easy. The Spirit is plentiful and abundant. The Spirit is working through the church. The church is growing by thousands. It's awesome to be a Christian in Acts 1, 2, and 3. But then we enter into a world in Acts 4 that's much different. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts, the fourth chapter. And let's talk for just a moment. As we visited the establishing church a few times in this journey, I want us to visit there again today. Because see, Peter and John and their fellow disciples are now beginning to endure persecution. They're beginning to endure people questioning them because... Quite frankly, what they're accomplishing in Jesus is beginning to cut into the power of the culture. the culture begins to say, we do just fine without this. why are you bringing this Jesus this Christianity into our into our midst we're losing power by that and that bothers them. the world doesn't want Jesus God to have power the world is made of men who want the power for themselves. That was what Jesus fought. And that's what we fight today. Acts 2 and 3, church going great. All of a sudden in Acts 4, we see these men begin to be rounded up and question about their beliefs. Question about what they're doing. They're taken before the Sanhedrin and question about their Initiatives and the things that they're trying to accomplish, and then they're released, and they go back to their group. And picking up in verse 23 of chapter 4, this is what is said: On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they were they raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord. They said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And here, they go back to the verse in Psalm that I shared with you earlier. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth raise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. So they go all the way back to these words of David and this establishment This this established message from David about who's in charge. And he goes on to say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And what I want us to hear, church, is that when we are a church, a group of people focused on mission, God will do awesome things through us. The point that He wants is our focus. He stands ready... For you to be a soldier for Him. For you to do awesome things. Missionary things. But it's dependent upon our embracing the mission. Being impacted by the mission of Jesus. Just like His disciples were. And just like they impacted us. When a church comes to that point... Listen to what happens in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. The world around us right now, church, needs a church that's shaken. It needs a church that is so impacted by the mission of Jesus Christ that it's shaken. And then it goes out into the world and it preaches with boldness the gospel. An unapologetic gospel. A gospel of grace and love so deep that a, that a perfectly perfect person is willing to die on the cross for every person in the world, every sinner in the world. Love so deep that there's no end. Love so deep that there's there's no topic that can't be forgiven. There's no issue that can't be shown grace. Mercy and love. There's no relationship that can't be mended, including a damaged relationship with God. Love so deep that it's never end. There's five ways, I believe, for us to get there as a church. These are kind of more practical points, and I want to share them with you. And then let us have this message to consider. Number one, we want to be a church that's shaken. We want to continue to make the difference that we're making in the world now and do even better Then we will be a church that consistently follows Jesus. Consistently follows Jesus. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's easy. Not when not when we think the world offers something better. Consistently follows Jesus. Period. In Acts 2 and 3, as I said, it was easy to follow Jesus. Beginning in Acts 4, following Jesus becomes a lot harder all the way to the point in Acts 6 We see a man, Stephen, get stoned to death because he's giving little old ladies dinner. You want to know how hard it was to follow Jesus? Stephen found out. I'm going to take some meals out in the name of Jesus and that night I'm not going to come home because I get stoned to death. Wasn't easy. Persecution turns the table in Acts 4. You know, persecution defines the depth of faith. You want to know how deep your faith is? Look at how you endure persecution. We serve God, not the benefit package. Yeah, I've heard it said a million times as a minister. Well, you got a heck of a retirement package. Don't serve for the retirement package. Being for real, I serve because I want to make a difference now. I'm shaken. This church is shaken. I don't serve for the aftermath. I serve for today. And I hope you serve for today. Number two, if we're a church that knows God personally, we're going to be powerful in His mission. We're going to be powerful in His mission. Christianity is not about God. It's about knowing God. It's not, it's not a, a, a way that we do things. It's not, it's not an order. Christianity is following Jesus. It's being a Christ follower. It's knowing Him. It's not just about Him. It's a story that comes to life through His story, the Gospel, but through our lives, the lives of Christians. Jesus so much as praised that in John 17, verse 3. You know, a second-hand relationship with Jesus won't endure. It just won't endure. Statistics say 80% of Americans pray. I, I find that kind of hard to believe based on some of our direction sometimes, but I don't know. I, I guess I've, I've heard lots of times where people pray and then kind of take off and do just the opposite. So maybe that's true. Eight out of ten Americans pray. Eugene Patterson says prayer is not so much talking to God, but it's answering God. Think about that for just a moment. That your prayer life is actually interaction back and forth between you and God. Wouldn't that be awesome if we got to the point that that was the depth of our prayer life? All teaching and attributes found in Scripture help us to be in a relationship with Jesus. Everything you are taught in your Bible is meant to help you grow in a relationship with Jesus. Not just to give you a new rule. Not just to give you a new command. Not just to give you insight. Not just to give you history. It's there to help you grow in a relationship with Jesus. One that will endure persecution. Persecution. Because you will be persecuted. You will be. If not by the world, you'll be persecuted by your own. You will be persecuted. And in that moment, your relationship has to be with Jesus. Number three, we need to experience Jesus periodically. Um, everybody always warns you, you go to the, the marriage classes, right? And what they say? They say, make sure you take some time for your wife. Make sure you take some time for your husband. And then when you get into parenting classes, they say, make sure you take some time for your children. I remember, and I'm sure some of you do as a dad, you come home from work and your kid's doing something you never seen them do before. You say, When did they start doing that? And you watch oh, this all three weeks ago. What? What do you mean three weeks ago? Yeah, I've been working and stuff, right? You have to take time to experience Jesus periodically. To take a moment and step back. Because Jesus is going to do a whole bunch of things when you're not looking. You consider things like summer Bible camp. All of a sudden this kid comes up at the end of the week and he is so or she is so connected to Jesus. Why? Because they took time to stop and spend a whole week with him. When sometimes in their life, they'll go a month without ever spending a month. Truly. You know, old time revivals. You remember those? I preached one of those here about a month ago in downtown Kansas City. Had a blast! There, the preacher said, fire and brimstone, brother. Fire and brimstone. Be as loud as you want. And brother Arch Harris he just kept feeding that fire as I preached. He just kept blowing on the fire. I said, If I preached this way at Hartland, they'd run me off. He said, We ain't Heartland. You know, falling in love with her at camp. You ever experience that? Young ladies or young men, you fall in love with that person at camp, but then a week after camp, it's just kind of gone in the distance. Distance. What happens when distance comes between us and God? Number four, we serve Jesus harmoniously. Harmoniously. When when we get into Jesus's mission and we're, we're, we're working toward that mission with harmony, what an awesome world. What an awesome church to be a part of. One working in harmony. It's one of the things I love about singing. Because I love hearing the voices come together to make one piece. And when it's right, it's awesome. But when it's wrong, right, Jerome? When it's wrong, it's wrong. Right? I tell people all the time, Heartland sings awesome. You want to hear some bad singing? Go back where I came from. Okay? Sorry to the folks listening in Indiana. This church sings because we sing in harmony. Awesome. And finally, we exhibit Jesus generously. You know, there's a a concept that many speak of where we talk about our spiritual things and then we talk about our non-spiritual things. But truly, truly, what I say to you this morning is as a Christian, when is the Spirit not with you? When is anything you do non-spiritual? Anything. Is it non-spiritual when you go out to the mailbox and greet your neighbor because you're not at church? Is it non-spiritual when we have to pay the water bill for the church building? See, I think that's part of our spiritual process. Think about what kind of church this would be if we couldn't flush the toilet. Wouldn't be pleasant. Amen? It's spiritual. Everything we do is spiritual because the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us that have put Christ on in baptism. If you are a brother or a sister in Christ in this place then your life is spiritual. Period. The end. When you kiss your wife, it's spiritual. When you're raising your children, it's spiritual. When you go to work, it's spiritual. When you wake up in the morning, it's spiritual. There's nothing you do that's not spiritual. And that one place in your life that you start to denote as being not spiritual, I guarantee you Satan will grab that and make that a thorn in your side. To pull you off the mission that you've been impacted to do, let God have an impact in your life this morning. Let 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 God and His Holy Spirit resonate in you in such a way that it raises you up above everything, everything that can possibly be wrong. Let the light shine through you. Give forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. Give grace where grace is needed. Bring honesty where honesty is needed. If you need to apologize, apologize. If you need to lift somebody up, lift them up. If you need to give a, a, a shout of praise, give a shout of praise. But whatever you do, whatever you do, grab hold of the mission and let it impact you. Just like it's impacted others. We've got, we got a whole world to continue to save out there, church. We've got a whole world that needs to know Jesus. They need impacted. Let's do that. Let's start that today, right here, right now. Don't let, it, don't let another day go. Come while we stand and sing.